Cool. There we go. Bird Host Madness Continues Podcast. Brendan being Brendan Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, you're welcome. I uh, this was a little crazy before we started. I should let the audience know. I uh, like a perf- like a true professional. Forgot the one most critical part. <laughs> it, it's always one. You never forget the big thing. But if it's any consolation, you know the story of Yo Yo Ma forgot his cello. No way. Going to a concert and they're like, "How is that possible?" Uh, someone explained that it's not because he's absent-minded. It's just the opposite that he's so focused on the performance that he. Uh, blots everything out of his mind yeah it's so funny because i did a check before i left my apartment this morning yeah and i was like i like had all my stuff and i was like okay i got my boom arms i got my mics i got my cords i got my uh i got my batteries i got my backup i got my recording unit i got everything i'm like what am i missing i'm like no guy i got all of it the one thing i was missing was the sd card that goes within the recorder of course it's just as it's it's murphy's law man (laughs) Um, well, thank you very much for sitting down and, and taking the time to do this. Uh, this is, uh, I've been really looking forward to this because, you know, you have been in Z- at Zany's f- for basically since it opened. Yes, uh, Zany's opened in November 1978, and I started at Zany's in Chicago February of 1980. Yeah, and, and as a waiter, right? Yes, as a waiter. Uh, then later as the doorman, then the manager, and then... One thing led to another, and I think I just outlasted everybody. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you just you just stuck in the race, man. That's yeah. kind of I feel like there's a there's that phrase they say those who stay will be champions, and then like yeah, yeah that he, was the, that was what the last dinosaur said. He yeah. created that. He looked around. He went, "Hey, I'm the last dinosaur. I guess I'm the winner. I'm the last one." And he's now known as the alligator. Yeah, actually. Um, yeah, I so I was really looking forward to doing this because um, it's it's interesting to me like the. The, the the amount of of comedy that you've you've been able to see and that you've overseen I think has been kind of amazing. Yeah, it's been a great run. I've uh, I, I always say I have the greatest job in the world. Yeah, well, let let for my audience, and I'll just go. We'll just level set for everybody. Is we have a, a it's kind of an interesting podcast because we have a lot of listeners from like India, okay, <laughs> and like and uh, I a couple from the Russian Federation. The joke is that Vladimir Putin is always tuning into the show, <laughs> and uh, for Mr. Putin and others, um, you know, I just briefly maybe just describe sort of your role. At, at Zany's. Sure. Uh, Zany's in Chicago is the fourth oldest comedy club in the country, in the United States. Uh, it's a traditional stand-up comedy club. That's all we've ever done. That's all we really do. Yeah. Uh, I uh, Right now, I'm executive vice president, and the joke is that the reason I'm an executive vice president is it gives the impression that there's more than one vice president. <laughs> uh, that's my official title. And... I, uh, my biggest responsibility is uh, booking the talent. Yeah. That's what I do. I book the headliners and uh, the MCs and soon to be all the uh, feature acts yeah. uh, for all the, the three zanies in uh, the Chicago area. Yeah, so that's St. Charles and then uh, and Rosemont, Rosemont in Chicago, and then, right? And then, and then, the, and then the Zanies classic yeah, in Old Town. Right, he's the original room. And yeah. that room, I just kind of want to talk about that for a second because that room is amazing and it's it's not just amazing uh to do comedy in or to to walk in but it's amazing for a number of different reasons and one of them is all of the on the walls of zanies are all of these headshots basically of the comedians who have performed there right all the eight by tens yeah and they're all signed 
And right. they're all to Zanies or me or Rick, who is the owner. Yeah, and they're all over the the walls of it. Like right. what got in seventy in seventy eight. So comedy, the comedy boom didn't really begin right. until kind of the early eighties. Uh, yeah, 80s. actually, the comedy boom that most people know really didn't start till about eighty five. Uh-huh. At at the lower levels, at the club level, it started about eighty three when uh, David Letterman got his late night show on uh, NBC. Got it. Because the you had uh, what happened was that what really started the boom was that you had all these uh, uh, specials on HBO and Showtime. Yeah. The, the fledgling cable channels learned that they could produce stand-up specials yep. inexpensively and play the heck out of them. Yep. And it was all found money. So you had people like George Carlin and Robert Klein doing the original specials. Then in '83, I believe it was, it might have been late '82. Uh, David Letterman got the show that followed the. Tonight Show. Yep. And Johnny Carson had his own group of comedians. Yep. Uh, many who were then ready to take the next step, like Jerry Seinfeld and David Letterman. Uh, but then Letterman introduced another, the next crop. Mm. Comedians, you know, Johnny had his group, Don Rickles, and, uh, and those were those are like what we think of as like classic, right? Exactly. Classic Don Rickles, Bob Newhart, yeah. yeah. That, that, that was a, that was the, the generation even before me. Yeah, uh, I grew up listening to Bob Newhart, or uh, you know, the first comedy show that I ever saw uh, was when I was a senior in high school, and we won't mention how many years ago that was. Uh, <laughs> I saw Bill Cosby at the Mill Run Theater in. Niles, Illinois. Yeah, and even Cosby, though, at that time, was doing, we would, I would, you, know, you would call it, it's stand-up. Right, but storytelling. Yeah, storytelling. That was his style. It's a, it's a functionally different, almost artistic f- format. It's not so different that you would call it something different, but it's interesting to listen to. You go back and listen to some of, uh, you know, Cosby's original albums, like Wonderfulness, for example, um, which I'm pointing to on the wall here in the green room at Rosemont, is, uh, it, it doesn't. It's not. It doesn't quite sound exactly like. It sounds like Jonathan Winters or like something that came even, like the format. It was. It was almost following. It was functionally different from, let's say, uh, what um, Carlin ended up doing, or, or uh, it's almost of a different flavor. Does, right. does that make sense? Well, I, I think what was happening was you had that next generation, whether it was Carlin or even Lenny Bruce. Uh, Richard Pryor, it, it was just another medium for them. Mm-hmm. They did not have to uh, be a uh, set-up punchline type comedian where you had to deliver a joke every yeah. 15 seconds yeah. uh, in much the same way that uh, the Beatles evolved as a band. Yep. If you listen to their first couple albums, they were all two-and-a-half-minute uh, radio uh, tracks. And then when they got, by the time they got to Sgt. Pepper, they all of a sudden, they, they realized the recording studio is our instrument. Yeah. And we can have a concept album. That is a great comparison. Thank you. I, I <laughs> think I will copyright it. Um, and, and so then to continue in the uh, with the story of comedy, of stand-up comedy in the 80s, uh, was that then uh, Letterman came in and introduced the next group of comedians. Got it. Whether it was Richard Lewis, Pee Wee Herman, people that not weren't necessarily... Appearing regularly, even Jay Leno, of course, yeah, uh, was appearing on the Letterman Show every six weeks. Yep, um, and, and and so that was uh, uh, how the comedy boom uh, took off. And then at the same time, the the baby boom generation, which at that time was the largest group of our part of our uh, population, was coming of age. Yep, and they were looking for entertainment. Mm. And so someone said, "Hey, uh, we can give an all comedy format." And of course the uh, Two creators, real Mitzi Shore, really created 
the industry. Mm. Um, and then Bud Freeman followed her, although Bud would claim that he created it. But he didn't really because the improv in New York was a showcase room with variety acts. He had folk yeah. music. You know, he had, it, was he, not a tr- it was not a purely stand-up right. comedy. Mi- Mitzi really, yeah. in my opinion, deserves the credit because she said, no, we're doing all comedy. Yeah. Uh, and so she basically created the industry, and then every club in the beginning was a showcase club. Yep. And then eventually, as uh, people, as comedians uh, grew in their careers, and they said, well, we don't want to just fly to Chicago and do 10 minutes. We want to do 30 minutes. We want to do 45 minutes. Mm. And so then you came up with the headline format. So I have heard that the headline, the, the opener feature headline was created by Mark Ridley in uh, Detroit. No. Nope. No, I won't give Mark that credit. Although Mark's <laughs> a great guy and I love him, but no, I, I don't believe that. Because uh-huh. the original format was actually a four-comedian format. G- really? When you got away, when, when we left showcasing behind, what you had was you had your your host, uh-huh. then you had your opener, mm. and then you had your feature act, and then you had your headliner. Okay. And the reason that most clubs went from a four comic format to a three comedian format was cost interesting the if you if you had and as you started to do multiple shows on the weekend Mm. you had to be able to turn your room in other words let the people out from the first show and bring the people in for the next show yep and if you had four comics and you were putting on a two-hour show you could not uh conceivably put two or three shows on in one night got it but then the show got shorter so then the format became a 90-minute format well, if the headliner's doing 45 and the MC's doing 15 minutes, then you don't need two acts doing 20 each. Yep. And so that became the three-act show. So and, and that's why sometimes the middle act is called the feature act. Yep. That's fascinating. I did not know. So I didn't know that it was originally a four-act a four format. Oh, yes. Yeah, th- and that's where the term feature act comes in. Mm. It was the, the host, the opener, the feature, the feature, and the headliner. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. So I what I'm 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 interested to know. So in seventy in seventy eight when Zanies opened, uh, comedy's comedy stand up as a format unto itself is kind of coming into its own. Yeah, it really didn't exist. Yeah, there, and there was no circuit. You you comedians working today. Yeah, uh, are kind of spoiled because there's a string of comedy clubs across the country. Yeah, uh, back then, uh, and I'll cite a, a, a comedian named Mike Farrell who went on to great success as Tommy Sledge. Uh, he used to travel with a guitar because one night he might have to do a folk club up in Wisconsin. Then he would come work Zanies for a week. Then he would go and do a folk club in Indiana. Yeah, it's funny to think about because, you know, the biggest complaint of comedians maybe of all time ever, but even today, is that there's not enough. You're like, oh, what did we, oh, man, how can I, I'm trying to get nights, I'm trying to get dates, like all this <laughs> stuff. This is crazy. And it's funny because I haven't even considered that, that like at a certain point, not even that long ago, yeah. There was half as much, you know, half as many venues. Even if, even if during the boom, where it's like, I mean, the, you think about it today. Like, what, one of the complaints is that we're competing against Netflix or competing against whatever. In, insert, you know, uh, right. YouTube, whatever. Mm-hmm. But when you, when I, th- I think about it, even you know, twenty years ago, ten, even ten years ago, there's so much more volume, and. And there's so many there. I mean, there's so much more volume now, and there's so much more. There's so many interesting ways of getting access. Well, that is something that that the current generation has in all uh, art forms. Yeah, I, I Keith Richards in his autobiography talked about that. He said, "Boy, when he was starting out with the Rolling Stones, 
to get a studio recording time was unheard of. Yeah. You you just didn't walk in and record. He goes, now these kids can record an album and put it out on the internet. They don't need a recording studio. They yeah. are the recording studio. And comedians have the same option with YouTube and, uh, you know, Instagram, et cetera. Yeah. Well, we just, I mean, this is an example is this podcast. It's like, well, all example. this equipment is like less than 500 bucks. Yeah. And like I, and it's rather professional. I mean, it's good. I have good mics and this is a professional recording unit. And like we, I did, um, you know, I don't, I'm not, I'm, you know, a ton of comics. So I don't know if you, if you're familiar with them, but Dylan Scott in Chicago just did, uh, he recorded a, an album in, um, just, just did it. He had right. all this material and he yeah. just went ahead and did it. And it's just crazy how much how how much you're able to put out. And if you really love the art form and it isn't about trying to necessarily, you know, build a, you know, be the next whoever or build a business or try to be, get famous or whatever, but if you really love the art form, you can you can cr- produce a lot and and really have the opportunity to put a lot out. Yes, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is how do you monetize it? Yeah, yeah. And this I think is one of the biggest problems with the industry right now. Yeah. There is a mindset among comedians that stage time is the most important thing. And mm-hmm. when you're trying to build a skill set, when you're trying to build a set, yes, you have to get on stage. I understand that. However, this emphasis on doing multiple sets every night has resulted in so many stages, and I'm using Chicago as an example, but I'm sure it's true in every major city, so many stages for a comedian to get up on that there's so many opportunities to watch comedy for free that it becomes harder to sell tickets. It devalues itself. and, And the result is that a comedian that's trying to come up, like you were saying, well, we're just trying to create art, well, actually... You're not. Your object as a comedian is to make money. Yeah. Because otherwise, it's just a hobby. Yep. And it's great if you want that to be your hobby. Wonderful. But (laughs) (laughs) when you have a wife and three kids or you're 45, uh, do you say, yeah, honey, I'm going out every weekend because this is my hobby. Yeah. Well, but this, it was, so you bring up a good point, though, because that's the circle that everybody's trying to square is they're kind of like, well, at what point, when do I, I mean, like, and, and I, I think about it like this, like I, me and, you know, three other guys two years ago started this show in, in the city called the Executive Comedy Show. And it went on right. for, uh, I think, for three or four months before the venue that we were at downtown was like, okay, we, you know, some, another event booked the same weekend and they're paying right. us $400 a night for this. So sorry. Right. And the whole thing had to be kaput because it was the only one that we had. Mm-hmm. And like everything fell apart after that in terms of, of that show. But, uh, which is a good example again, because we, we couldn't, we charged, I think $5 for tickets or something like that. But like people were, anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself just to back it up. What I'm saying is that really Jeff R. Curry did the show. Mm-hmm. Rebecca O'Neill did the show. Adam Burke did the show. Right. These are three working comedians. Sure. I mean, like, Jeff R. Curry was just on uh, Colbert. Yeah, exactly. And Rebecca is just crushing it in New York. Mm-hmm. She does a great job. And um, we paid them, like, maybe 50 bucks at best. And and we insisted on, we wanted to, we wanted to make sure everybody got paid. And right. it was a lot of hard work to, like, balance any of that. Because, 
you know, so many audiences, and I don't think this is true of all audiences, but so many audiences are just like, yeah, I just don't want to pay. I can go home and watch Netflix or or whatever. And then at the same time, exactly like what you just described, there's all these comedians who who would kill for that spot. They're like, oh no, I definitely want to headline a show. I'll do it for free because I just right. want the credit. Exactly. I just want to get on stage, and it, you, the comedians, end up cutting their own throats. Is what happens long term. Yeah. Uh, and then there will be some comedians that rise above the crowd. But what about just the journeyman comedians? Yeah. You know, so great. You become, so now your goal isn't to be a professional comedian. Your goal is to become a marquee act, an icon, yeah. just in order that you can make money. Yep. And that's not the way it should be. There should be a level of professional comedians. Yeah. Because, in my opinion, there will always be a demand for comedy. Yeah. People will always be willing to pay for comedy. Well, and it's weird because it, it feels like an almost uniquely American issue in the sense that I, I'm, and it might be a Canadian one as well, but like I, I've done comedy uh, in a lot of places. I've been doing stand up comedy a long time, barely ever gotten paid for it, to your point. <laughs> Maybe that's my, my mindset that needs to change, but I, uh, I've done stand up in, in France, and I've done stand up in the UK, and I've done stand up in Germany and in Iceland. And in almost every place I've gone, People have been actually pretty willing to pay for. Sh- it's not unusual that, like yeah. in in Iceland, they have three English speaking comedy shows. All of them make money. Yes, because and, they, they they've basically trained their audience. Yeah, that, that we're not you're not going to see it for free. It's an art form. Yep, we treat it as an art form. We treat you the customer with respect, and so therefore it costs. It's a profession. Yeah. It, it's But then again, if you go take a country like Germany, you don't have to tip a server in Germany because that's a profession. Yeah. They get paid yeah, yeah. to be a professional waiter. Yeah. It's not something you just throw them something at the end of the meal. Yeah. I mean, it's that's their a good job. Point. That's a and, good point. Uh, unfortunately, in this country, uh, American, and I think it's, I'm not just saying this about stand-up comedy, I think it's true of all art in, this, in America, is that uh, we don't take it. We we don't give it the value it deserves. Yeah. Um, I I'm I know there's probably bands that will say, oh, you guys have it easy. At least you don't have to haul your own equipment. We don't get paid either. Yeah. Well, that then that's a mindset that we need to change because if the person is putting on a show in a proper venue. Yep. You should be willing to pay for that show. Yeah. You're being entertained. It's not fair not to pay. Them. I mean, <laughs> every time I've hosted here, I've gotten paid. You guys have always I, been really good about that. Well, we, we try and run a professional club, Zanies. That's what we try and do. Well, uh-huh. you one of the things, and this is adjacent to the conversation yeah. that we're having, but like y- one of the things that I think you've been very good at, um, I think both both you, Bert Haas, and then also Zanies uh, as an institution and as a as a comedy you know brand, is that you've you've been really good at fostering. Uh, new comedians and younger comedians and like this co-feature thing that you were doing not long ago and the still are yeah yeah and the rising star showcase in chicago um a lot of i don't do showcases anymore in chicago because we're all headline club now yep but uh, i absolutely do co-features because i think it's a good opportunity for a young comedian who may not be able to do a full killer 25 30 minute set yep. but they still have a nice 10 or 12 minutes well then let's get them on stage yeah. let's put them in a professional environment with a real audience and let's pay them for their time yeah 
and and then hopefully start the process of professionalizing the industry. Well, yeah, and you're and you're you know the and that the 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 zanies, you know the 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 credit is meaningful and that like it it's because like what you were saying this is like the basically the third sort of oldest club in the same look it's certainly right. in the same location in the United States and like it's just very interesting because it, it, it carries a lot of weight that like if you have a good clip from from I've gotten booked at festivals from clip a clip I have from doing Rosemont here just because the Zanies logo is behind me yeah uh, well I I think uh, if there's a uh, and hopefully also I'm funny but. yeah of course you are yeah well you deserve to get booked the uh, I have friends uh, in different clubs across the country yeah and uh, one of my dear friends is Richie Barrett who runs uh, Hermosa Beach Comedy and Magic Club yep and about a year or two years ago Richie called me up he said hey I just saw this kid uh, he's coming to Chicago. I think you should take a look at him. Yeah. Well, that carries a lot of weight with me. Richie knows the industry, and he knows what my personal tastes are. So the guy came through, and he did a very nice set, and I booked him. And now Brad Wenzel is one of our headliners. He's done yeah, yeah. at least two from Conans. Detro- yeah, from Detroit. Yeah, yeah. I know uh, Brad. And, and that was uh, where Richie said, hey, take it. And so I would hope that if someone called me up and said, hey, what do you think of this guy? I, I would hope that I would have some credibility. <laughs> yeah, right. To like drop. Yeah, I, 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 I don't claim to know everything about stand-up comedy, but I do claim claim to know something about stand-up comedy. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, you know, yeah. forty almost forty years in. Yeah. Well, what did you? Okay, so that's the other question is, and I want to get to a, 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 there's a bunch of stuff I guess I want to talk about, but what what did you what what originally attracted you to working? At Zany's and then staying here. <laughs> well, I can tell you what attracted me. I was trying to make a buck. Uh, I had a full-time day job <laughs> yeah. in Chicago, and I had plans to go back to Germany to get my uh, master's degree. Uh-huh. And so I was just trying to make some money to go back to Germany. And I started working at Zany's, and the owner of Zany's, Rick Hewitt, who was my mentor, my friend, he passed away six years ago. Yep. And Rick was one of the most unique individuals you would ever meet. And he and I just hit it off. And we had a great partnership together. And I miss him dearly. And I know any of the comedians that worked with Rick will tell you, he was just a pistol. Yeah. And that's what ended up getting me to stay. I ended up taking a pass. I never went back to Germany. And stayed and just kept working for Zanies and Rick. Yeah, basically just because your relationship with him sort of... Oh, he was an incredible man and he has never gotten a full due of uh, what I think are some of the innovations he did for the industry yeah one of the first things he did was uh, this is almost 40 years ago he hung original artwork on the walls at Zany's yeah well now every cafe oh this is so avant-garde we've got a local artist (laughs) Rick did that 40 years ago because we had nothing on the walls yeah we didn't have any 8x10s back then he just needed to cover the walls yeah yeah and he never got credit for that Rick, I believe, was the first stand-up club in the country to go to three shows on Saturday. Yeah. Most clubs did two shows at that time, and we were the first to do three on Saturday. We actually, at one point, Zany's Downtown was doing four shows on Saturday. I can't even. That's four Seven, shows. 7, 9, that... 11, 15, and 12.45. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and the 12.45 show is incredible because, of course, it rarely started on time. Yeah. So if it got started at 1, well, heck, the... Didn't end till two thirty, almost three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh man! <laughs> what got? Okay, so did you get rid of that? Sh- when did you? How long did that even go on for? Uh, at some point, we got rid of it, uh, and we went to just the standard three shows: seven, nine, eleven, fifteen. 
And, I, and, and when we did that, I remember many stand-up comedians saying, well, you, we can't do three shows. How do you remember your material? That's the way it is. Rick just said, and then yeah. pretty soon every club was doing three shows on Saturday. That's so funny. I can't even imagine. I think now, like three shows is sta- three shows is standard. But yeah. I also think like so many comedians would be like so willing to punch the clock and just be like, let's do this. Yeah. Well, that is one of the funny things I think about comedians as they, and I had this out with a comedian recently, who uh, was asking about an extra show, whether he was going to get paid or not. Yeah. And I said, you know, it's really funny to me. That when you guys start out, you will do as many shows as you possibly can <laughs> for free. But then when you get paid, you want to do fewer shows. Yeah. It's not not it, only it, it, <laughs> that doesn't make sense. It's not only like it's not only that we'll we'll do when we're first starting out, comedians will do as many shows as they can for free. They will drive yeah. <laughs> so far on their own money to go do Five minutes, at like, or ten minutes, or like whatever. Well, my my advice to the Chicago comedians, and this is what I said to uh, someone not too long ago. I said, I think what you should do is get together and close half of your open mics. Yeah. Shut them down, and make people pay something for the ones that remain. Yeah. P- pay a dollar. Pay two dollars. Something and get the audience in the habit of paying because once your audience starts to pay, yeah, then you will get paid. But if the audience gets in for free and there's no ticket sales, there's nothing to pay the comedians. Yeah, there's nothing to do. Yeah, there's some kind of and it's funny because like that's kind of what uh, that happened back in the when there was a strike, I guess. And uh, with well, Mitzi back in the in the seventies, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, they struck at the comedy store because Mitzi uh, sure did not pay any comedians. Yeah, and it's similar. It's almost like there should be some kind of like stand up union in Chicago. Oh yeah, well, there, during the boom, there was an attempt to unionize and to organize comedians, just like there was an attempt to organize the club owners. Yeah, um, I didn't it, know there was a uh, there was an attempt to organize the club owners. Oh yes, that's always going on. Yeah, really. Okay. Yeah. So what have what have you seen? Just speaking of you know, like like uh, how comedians change over time. <laughs> the longer you're in, the more you're like, I don't want to do the work for the money. Give me the money without the work. But it it, it just is how comedians change over time. How ha- how has comedy changed, or or comedians that you've witnessed changed in the time that you've been here? And I mean, I know that's a big question. That was kind no. Of a- I I would say the two biggest differences are first of all, the evolution in language a comedian that used to be called a dirty comedian 30 years ago could probably do his entire set on national television now oh yeah the you have to remember the way to become successful was through the tonight show with johnny carson yep and that was a squeaky clean six minute set oh yeah and you the goal was to work clean work clean work clean and then with the advent of cable podcast netflix uh Comedy Central, you that just kind of went by the wayside, and mm. uh, the standards. I I can't imagine that anything is not accepted anymore. Yeah, well, it's that's funny because it almost feels like the what's changed is the there are certain words like it's funny like Carlin's you know the famous seven letter words. I think every one yeah. of those words has been said on national television. Now. Yeah, but now there's a bunch of stuff you can't say. Well, and, that's an interesting point you brought up about how we've changed. Uh, in terms of now you've become, uh, they say we've become too politically correct. Yeah. I don't think it's that. What I think has happened is the audience has become too involved in the process of stand-up comedy. Huh. They believe that they understand the process, and so therefore they should have a vote in it. The, the audience should only judge the joke, the final joke, 
what went into the making of that joke should make no difference. Yeah. Every joke is offensive. Yeah. Every joke, because every joke has a fool. Yeah. So that means someone, some group, is going to be offended. Now, if it's a large ethnic group or a large racial group, sure. then you might push back and say, well, that's not appropriate. No, the members of that minority may not find it appropriate. Yeah. In the same way that if I do a joke about Donald Trump, Donald Trump's offended. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't, he's not going <laughs> to laugh. So I, that yeah. joke to Donald Trump is inappropriate. Yeah. Now, the larger the audience that finds it inappropriate, obviously you will push back. I think you just it, described exactly why Thanksgiving was so awkward at my family this year. <laughs> well, in my opinion, no joke is inappropriate until it stops getting a laugh. Well, see, and so that's interesting because how have you witnessed, you know, seeing you you've seen crowds, you know, you witnessed crowds for, you know, almost 40 years and 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 it's been a regular part of of your life. How have you seen the audience change in that amount of time? Well, I've noticed it particularly at the downtown club where we get a younger demographic, and there's almost a half a second lag as they judge the joke. They have to accept, well, wait, is this joke acceptable before I laugh? Hey, either it's funny or it's not. Yeah. That's so interesting because my, one of the, uh, for a while I lived in Boulder, Colorado, mm-hmm. and um, did uh, started a comedy night there and um, would do... Would do different shows sort of around town. Um, and uh, Brent Gill, who's a very funny comic who mm-hmm. I know has come through here, he uh, started a comedy show that I would do regularly when I was there. And it was weird because Boulder is such a super hyper liberal community, right? And uh, it's very, it's almost like it's uh, it's almost like even further off into the left than like <laughs> you know, than Chicago is, and. It it was so strange because that was similar to there. It almost felt like I had to start with at zero again every joke to right. be like they everybody was like okay what is he trying to say here and and it was just so strange because it was like it it almost prevented a a, a meaningful conversation. It was almost like if you went on a date and, and and the person you were out on the date with was constantly just trying to find out if you were a secret like you right. know bigot or something exactly. and you're like listen I'm just trying to have fun we're just trying to have fun. Like there's a there's an almost like I look back at um, my uh, my my uncle uh, or my dad's very close friend is Joe Belasco who started Joey's Comedy Club mm-hmm. in Detroit and he uh, was in town recently and uh, sh- shared with me a whole bunch of his old like like tapes from when he was like really you know uh, right. kind of starting the club and, and heating up and stuff and it's so weird to watch because I'm like you couldn't do any of this shit on stage anymore right like he just talk just jokes about like you know oh I don't have any problem with gay people except blah 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 and you're and then it gets a huge laugh and I'm like mm. if I just walked out and said something like that mm. on stage it would be crickets from the audience <laughs> because they'd be like what is this dude trying to say right now right like it's just funny how that it's like a real thing and yet at the same time now comedians have almost taken that to uh, another level where they the audience becomes in on the joke oh yeah. in other words you know what i'm talking about so i don't have to deliver a traditional setup punchline because simply by me mentioning the topic you already know the setup yeah 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 and I only have to deliver a punchline, which is really strange because it's not a traditional setup punchline punch thing. So you, uh, one thing that's interesting is you get more actually more storytelling now, but you get fewer what we used to call roles, where a guy would get on a roll and do joke, 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 joke. Yeah, yeah. And the audience would just explode and keep going, and the laughter would continue. One joke would bleed into the next joke, into the next joke. 
you rarely see that. There are no, we used to call them bangers. Yeah. Where a guy would just bang the audience. Very few bangers left anymore. That's interesting. Because there, so, there are, there, the, the style of comedy has like changed because there are guys like Brad Wenzel is a good example. It's like a one-liner, like he has a lot of good. Mm-hmm. And, the, and audiences love it, but you're right. There's, there's, no, there's no kind of in between that and then doing uh, storytelling or, or something else. And, and there, there is a lot of, con- there's a lot that's not said, I feel like. And it's weird to do comedy in other countries because that language, that internal language that an audience is working out in their own heads is not there necessarily right so there's a lot like we did the chicago comedy showcase in edinburgh this last year and we had a whole bunch of comedians come out and there's a whole bunch of stuff that like just did not work at all like any kind of like race or uh race material or relationship with the police or like any of that stuff and it's just because hey it's in in the uk they don't they don't have racial problems like we do and they don't have a problem with the police like we do like that is one thing i've never understood about how you comedians go overseas and i know there's a huge market out there Comedians will go to the Asia as an example for yeah, six yeah. months. It isn't with the language barrier anymore because English is so prevalent. Yeah. But I always thought, where are the cultural references? If you do a joke here in the States about a particular TV show yeah. or something that's happening in the news, everyone knows about it. Oh, yeah, I know what he's talking about. But they don't know what uh, – an, an audience in a different country doesn't know what you're referencing. Oh, yeah, totally. So, I, I've never understood how you can do that sort of comedy, but it, there are some comedians that are very yeah. successful at it. Yeah, and it's it's weird because I think the solution, Bert, for me has been uh, just always bomb. <laughs> <laughs> no, and then you, and then, and then there's no difference. <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's uh, it's I don't know. That's very fascinating. Um, what who have what what was okay? So you were here for two years. You worked the night job. You were a waiter. Um, but oh yeah, so th- then I started. We're saying I started booking the room in about '82, and then I went and opened the club in Nashville in '83, and then I came back here in '85 or '86, and that's really when the big club boom happened. Yeah, and that's when we at Zany's we opened uh, four. We had four clubs open in this market. There were at one time 17 full-time comedy clubs, professional comedy clubs in the market of Chicago. <sighs> this is nuts. And. There's a comedian uh, who told me that he looked at his old calendars. Yeah. And he worked 33 weeks. Wow. Uh, he worked, got paid. Yeah. Uh, 33 weeks just in Chicago. I mean, that's like, that's madness to yeah. think about. He got paid a weekly salary. And then, of course, unfortunately, the demand did not reach the supply. Yeah. And so clubs had to close. Yeah. And then it shrank down, and now it's growing again. But my concern is that it's growing not in a uh, monetary positive manner yeah uh, i i think there's a lot there's more comedians than ever i think there's more stages than ever but my gosh you've got to charge something for the art form otherwise no one will pay for it and you will never get paid. you should probably i'll tell you what would be a uh, a good uh maybe service and could you could line your pockets is uh teaching a class on how comedians could do this i think that would be <laughs> extremely well attended well i used to try that when we used did our showcases uh and i used to give a little talk beforehand uh, and my wife, Sally Edwards, who's a professional comedian, uh, she used to just laugh at me. Because I would come home and I'd go, I don't think anybody listens. She'd go, Bert, they're not listening to you. They're thinking about their sets. Yeah. <laughs> you're wasting your time. Probably and, and then I had some comedians come back later. Uh, 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 Drew Michaels, very kind, came back later. And he said, no, you know, Bert, you, what you said was good. We just weren't ready for it. Yeah. You know, we were at a different level. You were talking uh, a step ahead of us. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. And, and so and and apparently he he remembered it because he's going he's, on to yeah. Drew, Drew's doing great and uh, you know he and I have had some lovely talks. I I I always. <laughs> I love to talk about comedy. This is all really all yeah, I yeah. know, this and I great. love stand-up comedy. I, uh, if you ask me about uh, sketch or improv, I don't have a clue. Yeah. I, I would know nothing. I don't know how any of it's done. The only thing I know is that the the current motto in improv is yes and. Yeah. And I always thought that the motto in stand-up was no but. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that is it's. There's a total. There's a tonal difference between. The, and Chicago's full of improvisers because Second City and I know and all this yeah. stuff. And it's so bizarre sometimes because they, you know, we'll, like the Annoyance Theater or Second City or even I.O. will sometimes, they'll have a stand-up open mic. Sure. And you'll go or they'll have a showcase. And sometimes, like, all these improvisers will somehow make it into the show and on the list. And it's so strange to watch them on stage because you're like, you don't get how this works at all. Like, you're getting up and trying to make friends with us out <laughs> <Yeah>. here. Like... <laughs> Like nobody, I, where's the anger? Where's the yeah. meanness? Like, well, I, I've always thought a great comedian, a great stand-up comedian, has to have a point of view. Yeah, um, that's exactly what makes them unique. We used to call it, uh, as a writer, he has a voice. Yeah, uh, point of view. Leno used to call it consistency. In other words, it's the same thing. Leno used to use the example. You'd see these guys, they'd go on stage and they'd be talking about their wife, mm. and then their next joke would be, "I was at a singles club." And you're like, wait, wait, hold, wait, what? You just did. You're married. How did you go to a singles club? And it doesn't mesh. Yeah, they, they have no consistency. As yeah, a, they don't have a well-formed character. And by character, I don't mean a caricature. I mean a point of view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a strong, uh, there's a strong place that that it, sort of a, even an authentic place that that has to be anchored from. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. And because it's one of the things that's weird about about stand-up that is qualitatively different than improv or than sketch maybe not exactly sketch because in a weird way what you're doing in stand-up is you're doing a one-man sketch very closely with the audience and it's not the same thing but there is a you know a, you can't violate certain rules in sketch and you can't violate certain rules in stand-up right but like what's very kind of strange is that stand-up is like um it it requires the audience to buy into who you are and if they don't do that, they don't want to buy into anything you're doing. Right, because you don't have any consistency. Yeah. Um, you have to have a point of view. You have to have some, yeah, like character, like you right. said. Well, what is it, so what is it about stand-up that you like more than, or, or that catches you more than other forms of, of, of well, performance? I, I love all comedy. Sure. I, and, and in fact, when my wife Sally does shows, so often people will come up to her at the end and go, oh, we haven't laughed like that in weeks. And she and I just look at each other like, we laugh like that every day. <laughs> How do you go weeks without laughing? I don't understand that. Everything is funny. I, I, I consider the, the the whole world absurd. Um, yeah. Uh, I like, I, I just, I happen to have spent my whole life in stand-up. I think there were two events that triggered it from, for me. One was that my father had an old reel-to-reel recorder. And yeah. for some reason, he had taped a lot of stand-ups. And I'm talking... Buddy, he had Buddy Hackett's Chinese waiter routine. Wow. I'm, I hate to say I'm going back into the early 60s. Yeah, yeah. And we had that. I can remember listening to that tape with my brother over and over. And one from Kawam A, two from Kawam B. <laughs> and he had another guy who did an impression of Gene Autry. Yeah. Uh, and that was, I, I don't know which comedian that was. And then when I was a sophomore in high school, for Christmas, my sister bought me Lenny Bruce's autobiography how to talk dirty and influence people yeah i never heard of lenny bruce i had no idea and i read that book and i thought 
Oh my God, there's a whole different world out there. I gotta read that book, How to Talk Dirty and How Influence. How to Talk Dirty and Influence People. Today, it still remains a funny, you can just sit down and read it, it you know, it's laugh out loud. Yeah. Uh, of course, half of it's untrue, uh, but it makes no difference because it's funny. Yeah. Uh, you'll have to excuse me, my audience, as I'm writing this down. The uh, Well, I've gotta tell, like, Goldman, Albert Goldman, in his book about Lenny Bruce told a great story, and I don't know what your language restrictions are, so you might oh, have yeah, to bleep you can go this ahead. out. Yeah, yeah, but, you can go uh, ahead. So the story is Lenny and his ghostwriter are locked up in a hotel room for a week trying to finish the autobiography. Yeah. And they're doing it. And the problem is that at the end of a week, they don't know if it's funny because they've been just writing it to each other. Yeah. So now it's 4 o'clock in the morning. they got to go get an audience. Lenny disappears for an hour. Lenny Bruce comes back. He's got this 50-year-old hooker with him. <laughs> the first thing, she walks in the room. She sees two guys. She goes, I don't do parties. <laughs> no, no, no. We don't want that. We don't want to have sex. We want you to read this. And then he said it was like a comic book. Because the woman t- takes out the old cat glasses and she's got them on the edge of her nose and she's, the first page, takes her 20 minutes, her lips are moving. Finally, after 20 minutes, she says, uh, let's just fuck. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> so that, for, I don't know why my sister gave me that book, but I think that was the key that was influence the, in my life. And and it's funny because I asked my sister this about two years ago. I said, Sue, why'd you give me that book? What prompted you? And she goes, no, I don't even remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that is so good. Wait, I gave you a book? Yeah. I didn't give you a book. <laughs> so- that changed your entire life? What? <laughs> oh my God, that's so good. Yeah, it's I. my parents had, I, I we had an old uh, record player when sure. I was a kid, and we had Monty Python albums, mm-hmm. and my dad had uh, Jimmy Walker, right, and uh, and we had um, uh, Bill Cosby, right, and I must have listened to that Jimmy Walker album a I, I, hundred oh, sure. times yeah, until sure. it was totally scratched out. I was like six years old; I could repeat every line on it. You know, the, a musician will tell you, "Oh, the first album I bought, and yeah. I played it until I wore it out." I mean, I, I think that's the way comedians are with. Albums it's, it totally is. I remember my favorite joke on that album, which is he said he was like high school's he was like high school's a bitch. He's like I dropped right out of high school because I went into math class and they said uh, they said uh, I want to know um, blank blank some blah 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 blah. Give me the answer in feet, and I got one foot equals five toes, and I got the hell out of there. <laughs> <laughs> like that that joke is still so funny. <laughs> one foot equals five. at six years old. I was like, oh my well, god, yeah. this is the funniest <laughs> thing I've <Yeah>. ever heard. <laughs> like, <laughs> And then it was like it was like I was sold. Yeah, same kind of thing. I remember after that telling everybody I was going to be a stand-up comic when I was like six years old. And then of course Joe Belasco was my uncle, was my well, dad's friend. That was obviously an influence on you. Uh, the other great thing uh, that happened for stand-up comedy was Jerry Seinfeld got a show. Oh yeah, on um, which his character was a stand-up, stand-up comedian. comedian. Yeah. And at the same time, Dave Coulier on Full House was a aspiring yeah, comedian. Totally. And so all of a sudden, people are graduating from college going. Hey, this is a career choice. Yes, yeah, it's like a real thing you could do, right. and, and like you were saying, like you could at one at one time you could, and not you know, and, and at a certain level you can still do this, but at one time you could be a working comic, and nobody could have ever heard of you, right? Because you 
you you had enough dates people would go yeah. out to go see stand up right. and you just happened to be the guy who was there that night well i think that will always be like that but the venues and the media will change ah uh, yeah but there will always be a desire people will always be willing to pay to laugh there's something different because guess what most people don't laugh enough no i well and it's weird because i think that you, like you like you were saying like you laugh like this with your wife every day and like i think it's so strange because i think i really grew up kind of in a bubble where and still live in one where if you if you spend a lot of time I started doing improv when I was fourteen mm-hmm. I started doing stand up when I was sixteen you know I have uh, you know Uncle Joe is a is was a stand up comedian we were always hanging out with comedians my dad knew Dave Coulier right my dad was never a comedian mm-hmm. uh, he was just a storyteller and loved hanging out with comedians right and it it's just very funny because I feel like it you can get jaded and I think that's maybe partially what's happening which is that. You know, before all of this media that allowed people to just listen to whatever they wanted or watch whatever they wanted at any time, you had to you had to confront the fact that probably a lot of people in the world were pretty sad saps. <laughs> <laughs> and and if you were a funny person and had funny friends, you were really lucky and you knew it because when you went out to go to the bank or talk with the grocery store clerk or whatever, everybody was rather depressing and probably pretty boring. But now it's almost like I can. I mean, I listened to a podcast on the way here of uh, a Tom a t- uh, Tom Papa. Oh yeah, on uh, the James Altucher show, mm-hmm. and um, well, you just listen you... to that stuff all the time. Now there's a guest you should have booked. He's funnier than I am. Who, uh, Tommy, Tom, Tom, yeah, Tom, Tom Papa. Papa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I when I get to James Altucher's level, maybe I'll I'll pull him in. Uh-huh. Um, but that's interesting because that's that that's actually something that is unique too. Is that Stand-up is becoming this fascinating curiosity where, like, like stand-up comedians are starting to be seen as almost like wizards or something. Well, and again, I, I, my concern is that then I think in general there's a fascination with the process. And I listen to a lot of radio because I drive, I commute in my car. Yeah. And I'm always, at some point you go, what difference does it make how he wrote the book? Yeah. Did, is it a good book? Yeah. Well, why do you think that shift happened? I think it's partly because of everyone now can be an author mm-hmm. and everyone can be a comedian and everyone can be a, 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 oh, just like a that, singer. Just like that mother, part of my French, that motherfucking ad on the L <laughs> that was like, every because everybody's a comedian, yeah. Second City. And I got, right. the second I saw it, I was like, I am never going to give the Second City a dime. <laughs> like, I, this, it made me so mad. Well, Second City has done wonderful work and. In the beginning, uh, a lot of the stand-ups graduated from Second City because oh, yeah. that was the only place yeah. where you could actually hang out with other comedians. Totally. Uh, yeah, and the, I don't. This but, podcast, by the way, is sometimes recorded there. I should say. So it's like I actually <laughs> do love them, but like there's a kind of they've done a great job monetizing people's dreams. Like, <laughs> I just you know there. It's great that anyone can do it, but you know what? Maybe not all of us should be. Yeah, Bad art form. you know what? I love to sing in my car, but <laughs> I shouldn't sing in public, and I should not have an opportunity to sing in public. Oh man, <laughs> that's not right. That's it's, such a good analogy, though. <laughs> and unfortunately, we've gotten to the point where now everybody, oh, well, I have a blog. I'm a writer. You're, yeah, you don't I write I, shit. I wrote a Yelp review. I'm a yeah, food critic. Yeah, I'm, exactly. <laughs> now I'm a critic. Everyone's a critic. But then again, it kind of ties in with our whole society because we are also grocery clerks. We have to pay for our own groceries. Yeah. We are uh, gas station attendants. We yeah. have to pump our own gas. Yeah. You know, I, I, I always argue that one of the reasons that uh, our um, 
clothing in America has become so casual. Part of it is because we've gotten so big that we have to have comfortable <laughs> clothes. And the other reason is because we do 18 jobs a week. Yeah, yeah. You have to we, like this we is do, such we a do good our point. own blue collar work now. I feel like you're really edging, and this is actually this is like a really good. This is so accurate because you're like everybody bags around groceries. Yeah, you do. You, you bag around. Gro- you you have to pay for your own groceries I now. I think I don't. There's something beautiful about that. Like a guy driving a a fucking Lexus or BMW with a doctorate has to bag his own groceries. Well, you know what? That's what Andy Warhol called it: the democratization of capitalism. Yeah. And what he meant at the time was that with the mass-produced goods, it didn't matter how rich Bill Gates was or is. Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, cannot buy a better can of Coca-Cola than you and I can buy. Yeah. They can buy a better cola, perhaps. Sure. They cannot buy a better Coca-Cola. They have been reduced, democratized to our level, and now our entire society is becoming that. Yeah, it's Uh, true. And not only that, but think about things like uh, we have become our own secretaries. We have oh, become yeah. our own answering services. Se- <laughs> yeah. There was a time when you didn't, uh, uh, an executive didn't have to write, a salesman didn't write up the sales form. Yeah. He yeah. went out and he sold the product. Yeah, did a handshake and then somebody, some other team of people handled yeah. that. I, I don't remember Don Draper ever typing up forms. <laughs> That's so. I can't even imagine Dom Draper sitting down to type up for it. <laughs> Get in here, Sally. Like just, exactly. It's so weird to think of. There's the secretaries don't even exist now. No, exactly. We because we're all secretaries. We all have word processing. Yeah. Oh man, it's there's something about that that feels so. This is how. This is exactly how they get you. Because I tried to write a bit on this yeah. years ago, and uh, I should maybe revisit it because the whole idea is I was like, there's the problem is that. You've been sold this lie that in the future we're going to be like the Jetsons and we're no. all going to we're all going to live in the sky and fl- and fly around in cars. When the truth is that the future is going to be more like you're unemployed. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Astro's going to take your job. Yeah, the, the 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 computer will take your job. And also, I always love that image of flying cars because, of course, what everyone pictures are these great flying spaceships. Oh yeah. Well, that's not how it works. Think about when you drive on the highway. There's going to be clunkers up there. Oh yeah. And, and and when you when we look up and we see blue sky, we go, well, "Isn't that beautiful?" Yeah. Do you really want to look up and see 400 cars? Yeah. And they're not funny. all beautiful Mercedes Benzes and Rolls Royces. There's that 57 Chevy, and you're thinking, "Is that thing going to fall on there's my like, head?" There's like rust coming off yeah, of it. Like it off. Hey, off. hey, keep your rust to yourself, Mister. <laughs> and of course, you know that that there'll be guys that are cutting into the the passing lane. Yeah. And cl- traffic will be just as clogged up in the sky as it is on the ground. Oh my god, that's like that. I that's one of my favorite things about the about Star the original Star Wars series is that there's that scene where Han Solo tries to turn on and the Empire strikes back, <laughs> yeah. the Millennium Falcon and it goes <laughs> boop and then it, and then all the lights shut off and he punches it and yeah. then they all turn back on. Yeah. And they're like that is how that would work. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. It. Oh my gosh, man. Yeah, I, but that that's what's so fascinating to me about stand up to just to bring it back is it's like People, I think that people, I, I've, I've said this to a lot of people in the city, um, is I, I've just been like, look, what, what yeah, have you ever been to see a live sh- comedy show? And most people haven't. No, very rarely. And they're like, oh, I love stand-up comedy. That's what they'll tell you. Right. They're like, oh, you do you do comedy? Right. Oh, I love stand-up comedy. Right. I'm like, oh, cool, cool. Have you seen a live, sh- you ever been to a live show? Right. Oh, no. I just love it on Netflix. And I'm right. like, okay, well, then you're not really watching. It's a there's a There's a complete difference between... Watching something on your screen at home, 
Yeah. And then watching, and I think the best comedy special that I've ever seen to capture what it actually kind of feels like to be at a live show was is Dave Chappelle's um, uh, The Bird Revelation that just came out on Netflix. That they filmed it in the beat. Uh, I mean, pardon me, the um, the uh, the back room at the comedy store. The mm-hmm. um, I forget the name of the the belly room. Belly room. That's mm-hmm. it. Um, and it's a tight. The belly room is a tight little room. Right. It's only ninety. It was ninety seats. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's ninety seats. But those ninety seats are. I mean, they are on right. top of each other. Yeah, exactly. And you can hear a pin drop, and you're you know four feet, five feet, no more than ten feet, maybe mm-hmm. at most, from the comedian. It's a very small. I mean. 10, 12 feet. I don't know exactly how small it is, but it's so weird because they captured it so well of Dave Chappelle sitting there, and it does feel like you're actually kind of watching him. Right. Because I don't know how they even got cameras into that space. And it's so weird because even that doesn't quite feel... Like, if you've just never been to a live show... Well, the the reason is that you can't capture the three-dimensionality of a live stand-up show. And my argument is that the reason is that all stand-up specials look the same. Shot of comedian on stage, shot of audience laughing. Shot of comedian on stage. Now, we've gotten more sophisticated because of the cameras, and so they'll show you a shot over the comedian's shoulder. They'll try and mix it up, but it's the same format. Comedian on stage, whereas in a real room, in a showroom, in a venue, there's people walking in front of you, there's people getting up, there's drinks being served. There's a sense of movement. Yeah, and And, 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 You're not just sitting in one place, and they have never captured that yet although i am working on three-dimensional comedy yeah 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 <laughs> i'm working i'm working on i've got i'm putting to trying to put together a special that captures that yeah well i should introduce you to marcus Rayboy. Uh, okay marcus is a contact of mine he um he uh just finished directing the um steve martin and martin short uh, mm-hmm. special on netflix really cool guy cool and uh he's um i'm sure he'd be interested in your thoughts on that okay but um yeah, it's I, I, it's just it's just fascinating because I, I I think that there's there's a lot of people who purportedly love comedy and then like don't show up to. I just don't well, show up to here's shows. a statistic for you: uh, percentage of football fans in America that have actually been to a live game. Wow, ten percent. Really? That's it. Only one in ten football one fans in ten have ever been to a live seen, game. Yeah, and and yeah, blows my mind. Yeah. I mean, I think, and yet I, it's probably the number one sport in America. It's got to be the number one sport. Right. I mean, easily, and it's probably the most watched event ever. Right. I mean, ever mm-hmm. in the history of the planet, the Super yeah. Bowl is probably the most watched event potentially. Um, that's that blows my mind, man. Um, so why have you kept at it so long, man? Why have you never? <laughs> you just it's just the fun. It's just the uh, it it. I just I love hanging out with comedians. Uh, I I th- I really believe that a comedian has a skewed perspective oh yeah um we just look at the world a little and i don't claim to be a comedian i don't i could i could if you know you seem a, like a you run a business if, are you it, kidding me yeah, there's it, no it, way you can. if you put me in a room with a gun and said give me three jokes i i you might as well just shoot me because i'm never going to be able to write three jokes. i can't do that i do have a certain ear that i can listen to a joke and go well maybe you should do this, shorten the setup, or why don't you move this around and make that, punch it up this way. And that's just experience. I've been listening to jokes for 40 years. I have a certain feel for it. But I think the reason I stayed is just that, first of all, it's a great business for screw-ups like me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, you know, Rick Hewitt once said it, he goes, can you imagine Emil Phillips selling neckties at Marshall Fields? should be screw-ups and, and that's why i again I, I don't know how if i should do this because it's topical reference but 
this whole Roseanne controversy. Oh, yeah, man. Well, I saw that the comment was totally inappropriate and not nice, granted. However, it was a joke, or a joke in process, I should say. Yeah, yeah. She meant it as a joke. It wasn't a good joke. Yeah. She shouldn't have put it on Twitter. Yeah. That's the kind of joke you tell your friend in the green room, and he says, oh, no, that's terrible. Yeah, he, and he that's goes, not funny. And he goes, don't write that on Twitter, no, dude. Yeah, <laughs> he, yeah, he says, don't write that on Twitter. It's not ready yet. Yeah. Come to me three three versions later. Oh, yeah. And when you have a joke, and then put it on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, because that's that's exactly the issue. Is like there's all these. I mean, and I'm I'm totally guilty of this. Is I'll have an I'll have a thought and then go blip and put it on Facebook, and then immediately or more than one time I've had somebody message me and they're like, "Dude, you need to delete that because that's not a completed." It's it's set. it's not funny yet. Yeah, it's not funny yet. Yeah. And really, those words could describe my entire oeuvre. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you have a point of view. <laughs> Oh man, that's funny. Um, what do you think makes a good com- comedian? What do you think, in your experience, makes a good a good comedian? My criteria: number one, likability. Yeah, I truly believe that for the audience to laugh with you, they have to like you. They have to like something about you. Yeah. Uh, next, I look for uh, stage presence. There has to be an element of stage presence, mm. and even a nervousness. Uh, Mitch Hedberg, uh, mm. you develop a certain persona, but that's fine. You still have that presence. The third is uh, joke structure. Uh-huh. You have to understand what makes a joke. And y- there's people that write, that say, you know, you've heard the line about there's people that say funny things, there's th- people that say things funny. Uh-huh. Um, but you have to understand why it's a joke. Yeah. Uh, s- some of the funniest people in the world are children. Yep. But they're not professional comedians for a very simple reason. They don't understand it's funny. They, yeah. they just said it was something funny. And then the last thing I look for is what I call funniness. Yeah. And that's whether you get a response from the audience or you tickle my funny bone. But as a booker, my personal likes and dislikes are totally meaningless. Yeah. Because I'm not in the audience every night. Yeah. That's something that uh, people... I I was at a party once and a woman said, oh, you're the one that decides who's funny. No. What the booker decides is who he thinks the audience will find funny. Ah, uh, yeah. And that's really the whole criteria. There are comedians that I book at Zany's whom I do not find funny. Yeah. But the audience does, and that's who's buying the tickets, not me. Yeah. That's, that is an inter- that is a fascinating perspective. I mean, like, that didn't make sense because, like, you're, you're, you're basically trying to fill seats, and it's a business. Right. It's ultimately a business. We're in the, we're in the business of entertainment, and occasionally the entertainment becomes art. Yeah. Not always, but it always should be entertaining. Yeah. It's got to be funny. I always think, I, this is, I, the way you just put that is so good, that we're in the business of entertainment and sometimes the entertainment becomes art. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times I, I feel like comedy and like, as crazy as it's going to sound, I feel like comedy and like porn like overlap somehow. <laughs> well, I won't go that far, but I'll give you like the... there's some, but that's some kind of level of that. Like it's like you, we're both kind of trying to kind of get the audience off, <laughs> and sometimes it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, so, and sometimes it becomes art. But then you and you've seen this in people starting out comedians. They'll go, they'll go up there and they'll bomb for ten minutes, and they'll come off and go, "Yeah, the audience didn't get me. I'm they're not." Well, guess what? You weren't entertaining. Yeah, yeah. What you might have done might have been art, yeah. and maybe someday. It'll be in a book or it'll be in a yeah. great recording. Yeah, maybe go, you're the next Andy Kaufman. Exactly. Dude. 
But but maybe you're just a not funny asshole. <laughs> maybe, but but my job as a booker is to find people that are entertaining because that's yeah. what people are paying to see. I mean, that makes a ton of sense, and it's it's funny because that audience that that's of walking off stage and being like, "Bah, they just don't get me" or something. Yeah, that's and it's like, but that, that's your fault, not the audience. Yeah, 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 yeah. Your job was to figure out how they can get you, right? And you didn't do it tonight, right? And like, and that's okay because this is all in process, but like. You know, sometimes you go on dates and they don't go well, even though you could have been a good match. Like, it just, that's the way life is a little bit. I, I saw Rich Scheidner at Zany's on Wall Street give, I wish I had taped the show because to me it was a symposium on stand-up comedy. Mm. The middle act had a tough set. It was kind of a slow crowd. Yeah. Um, Rich went up there, boom, four jokes, all topical, boom, 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 boom. Didn't get the response he was looking for. He said, people. Those are four jokes from today's headlines. I can't get any fresher than that. <laughs> and then he took a step back, and then I could just see him trying different premises. He was like a boxer jabbing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where's the? What am? Yeah, where I'm am I going? How am I going to find him? Crowd out. I'm going to figure yeah. it. Out. Boom. He was over here. Then he's over here. Boom, boom. Just jab, jab, jab. Don't let him. You know, stick and jab, stick and jab. And then all of a sudden, he saw someone in the front row with a cell phone, and he started talking to him, and he made that connection. And then that allowed him to go into his bit on cell phones. Yep. And then all of a sudden, he was pulling them into, and you could just tell, he, now he was pulling them into his universe. Yeah. And so now that allowed him to bring them further into his universe and go with his act. Yeah. And by the end, he had taken this half full room of individuals, and he had turned them into an audience. He had created a tribe. And it was just brilliant. Yeah. yeah. This makes, I, this, it's so interesting because that's, I've told people this before, is I think that comedy and especially stand-up comedy, is, is, uh, it's about being funny, absolutely. It's about being, you know, there's a lot to it. But at a really strange human level, it's about leadership. And it's about like creating a tribe and then leading the tribe. That, that's a very nice way to put it. The way we put it is, you're the shepherd, they're the sheep. Yeah. <laughs> Lead them, Mr. Shepherd. <laughs> but I like your way about the leader yeah. and the tribe. That's more complimentary. It just, sounds, it just makes me sound like I'm a mystic or yeah, something. Yeah. No, it's um, much more complimentary to the audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to steal that from you. <laughs> yeah, all right. You're open to, man. Um, well, we're at an hour, um, and uh, I... Oh, well, that's do... it. I'm done. Yeah. My contract. <laughs> I, I fulfilled my contractual obligation. I you for 60 minutes or 61 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and if you go through this fast forward, you might find one minute of interest. We do have three other shows after this show, though, today. Uh, we have a 1245 yeah. and uh... a... <laughs> I, I will be long in bed. I have I have uh, aged out of four, four show Saturday. I can assure you of that. <laughs> There's a lot of times where I'll be at the Zanies in Old Town and I'll run into you when I when I come in, and I'll be like, "Oh, hey, Bert!" And then like and then like later, I'll go see see the show, or I'll go yeah. or, you know occasionally once in a while. Like, I'm lucky enough to get up, and then uh, I'll come back, and then I'll be like, "Oh, is Bert still here?" And they're like, "No, he left like <laughs> 20 seconds after you said hello to him." <laughs> I. I uh... Um, I've been doing this a long time, and it, it, boy, as you get older, uh, pajamas and your own bed become more and more inviting. Yeah. And we used to, <laughs> in the old, it, we used to hang out. I used to love comedians. Yeah. And we used to hang out, and we'd there's nothing to stay up all night. You know what it's like to hang yeah, out with yeah, comedians. Totally. Stay up all night, and it's greatest. And when you're in your twenties, that's great. I always quote a folk song by Bob Gibson. Street life is fun. When you're 21, mister, I ain't 21 no more. 
it's, it's so bad. I'm 32 and it's starting to hit me. I'm yeah. like, I can tell that in a few years I'm going to be like, yeah, I think I'll just go to bed at like yeah. 11 o'clock, man. It's okay. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. I'll just finish the 11:15 show and go home. Thank you. That's too funny. Uh, well, thank you so much for taking the My time. My pleasure. Thank you, Brandon. This I has appreciate been, you this has been really on. great. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm. Congratulations on having you know a great career oh, man, th- in this space. I've and been a very lucky man. Zany's in Chicago is celebrating its 40 year anniversary this year, and I've told the next group of managers that they're going to be here at the 50 year anniversary. I won't be, but they will be. <laughs> Yeah, or you do you have eyes on retirement at some point? <laughs> they're, they're, the young kids are going to shiv me in the back. Oh my god, man! Yeah. Young, the young Turk comedians are. Gonna, I mean, the young Turk managers are going to shiv me in the back by the ice machine. And, oh man, they're just going to they want to take over. <laughs> yeah, they that's go. So, that's, let's get that old dinosaur out of here. That's too funny, man. I, I I gotta say before we close, the forty comedians, the forty and forty. I missed it. I was in Iceland uh, when this was going on, doing comedy, and uh, man. That was a really great idea. That just, was a fun show. It was a blast, and it was yeah. so funny because uh, uh, you know all the comedians who I know yeah. who like went up were all equally like we don't know we don't know how this is gonna go right. And it w- and everything just sound- made it sound like it was just amazing. I, I thought the show went very well. I we had a lot of fun. Uh, everybody got to hang out and talk, and yeah, it was a good. It was good. That's cool. I think that was a really classy move. Thank you. Um, all right. Well, Bert Haas, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Yep, we'll uh, we'll sit down when maybe when you uh, when you when you finally get shivved, we'll uh, get some time <laughs> in the in the hospital. <laughs> Hopefully, I'll recover in the hospital. <laughs> right. All right. Take care. Okay. Bye bye.